Okay. We're ready to go. Thanks for coming out tonight. I hope you've all signed in. And let's get started. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray tonight that uh, we would open these words and understand things we never understood before, see things we never saw before, experience you in a way we never knew even possible. So, Father, uh, have us that we might have you. Know us that we might know you. Receive us that we might receive you. In Jesus' name, amen. Two words, three letters that changed my life, changed your life. I am. Week number six, here we go. Week one has been the foundation scripture, John 8, 56. It is the foundation that all the other ones are stacking on top of. Here's the foundation. Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw my coming in the future, and he was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old, Jesus. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. There you go. You got to believe this. I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and he left the temple. Is Jesus who he says he is? I can look at you tonight before this session begins and tell you that your eternity rests upon the answer of that question. Is he who he proclaims to be? He said before Abraham was even born, I am. We've covered four of his, that's the foundation. Stacking on top of that name is four things we've covered. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate. Last week, I'm the good shepherd. Tonight, it is, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I love this particular session because of its context. Jesus reveals this I am statement at a funeral service. At a funeral service. I wonder why. Why would he do this at a funeral service? What? I am the resurrection and the life. Can you tell me a better place to tell the world I'm the resurrection, then there's some guy laying four day dead in a tomb right over there. So let's read this story and jump in tonight. John eleven seventeen. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I want everybody to use your imagination for a moment. How do you, what tone do you get out of Martha. What tone do you, when you read these words, what tone? Do you think she's a little bit put out with him? If you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, he would not be dead. I don't think she's happy. 
And then she comes to grips with the reality of who she's talking to. She says, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask him. Now, she must know something about this guy, right? She knows something. She's a little aggravated with him. If you'd been here, this wouldn't happen. But I know even now, whatever you ask your father, he's going to give you. So Jesus told her. There's a million ways he could have answered that woman in that moment. And what does he say? Your brother will rise again. Now, how's she going to take that? Your brother's going to rise again. Just as calm, maybe. Your brother's going to rise again. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Your brother's going to rise again. Yes, Martha said, he'll rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Can you see that? Well, that's not good enough. I'm not content with the fact he's going to get the resurrection of the last day. Jesus told her, who I am the resurrection. Oh, Martha, Martha, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live, even if they're four-day dead laying over there in the ground. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me, here comes the biggest statement of all, you'll never die. Anyone who lives in me, believes in me, I'm in him, they're in me, you'll never die. And then he asked a four-word question that really kind of sums up our session. Do you believe this? What? Well, believe what? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? First, I have to wonder, how does she know about the resurrection of the last days? You see how quick she just came back? I know my brother will rise again, but... What about the resurrection of the last day? How'd she figure that one out? So it tells me that they've already had quite a bit of conversations about what's coming in the future. But she's not satisfied with the idea that Lazarus is going to rise when everybody else rises on the last day. I miss him now. I need him now. This is not some random encounter but a funeral service of a dear friend. The encounter between Jesus and Martha, the sister of Lazarus, didn't start well. She seems aggravated. She seems mad. Why is she so mad? Because from her perspective, and I'm going to show you in a minute, from her perspective, from her watch, her calendar, her timetable, you're late. I gave you plenty of time to get here before he died, and you didn't come. And, and you loved him. He's your friend. He's just not some guy in the crowd. You and Lazarus are like this. You're late. Martha knew the I am. And I think this is really important. We touched on this back in that the Henry Black would be experiencing God thing. Um, and it's still in my mind. Martha knew, uh, let me do this. Martha knew this much about I am. She knew about the resurrection of the last day. She knew that whatever you ask your father, he's going to give you. So let's just try to make a scale. She knew I am is here. What she's about to find out is I am is here. And had he been on time, she would have still just known this much about I am. But because he's late, and he's never really late, because he's late in her mind, 
her view of I am is going to greatly be expanded. So the next time you think that he's late, maybe you just need to prepare yourself to see a bigger picture of who he is. Martha knew the I am, but Martha didn't know that the I am had power over death. Listen, in the moment. So I remember preaching a sermon about this a long time ago, and I defined it as the red line. And everybody understands whether you want to openly acknowledge it or not, you understand there's a red line. And we all know that when somebody gets sick or somebody gets in trouble, that we all got this possibility of recovery until you cross that red line, right? When you cross that red line, there ain't no coming back, right? That red line is when it's over. Jesus doesn't have a red line. She doesn't realize, what Martha doesn't realize is that when he says, I'm the resurrection, what he's really saying is that red line that applies to all of you all doesn't apply to me. And we're going to talk about that tonight because this is a huge statement. He has the power over death. The red line, which is uh, today when the hospital, and you're watching it on TV, and they got the little thing over there, and he goes, beep, 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 and those are That's the red line, right? When that thing goes off and they come in and put the paddles on, they say, clear. And when all of them say, it's too late. That's the red line. What if there is no red line? Tell me, would that change everything? Would it change your week? <laughs> would it change your month? Would it change your life? Only if you believe that he is who he says he is. Wow. Is it possible that the I am was laid on purpose? Is it possible or even beneficial that the I am would be late showing up? So uh, let's answer that question. Let's back up a few verses and see, is he late? If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So let's go back to verse one. A man named Lazarus was sick. <clears throat> he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Is this message clear? Dear friend, I mean, they are already in a relationship together. This is not a casual issue. He, he needs you now. He's very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory for this. Now, let that sink in. This is happening for a reason. God's got a purpose in Lazarus' sickness. God's going to turn this to his glory and to the revelation of the identity of Jesus. Jesus is going to reveal who he is. He's the resurrection and the life. But you're not going to get it apart from Lazarus' sickness. So the sickness is going to reveal God's glory and Jesus' identity. Verse 5, so although Jesus loved Martha, he loved Mary and he loved Lazarus. 
He stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected, Rabbi, they said only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Now, what does that tell you? They don't think it's a good idea. They were going to kill you in Judea, and you wanted to go back to Judea? This is not a good idea, Lord. And Jesus replied. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is kind of a mysterious verse. In fact, I'll tell you, I've spent all afternoon on this, just this verse. Verse 9, in my mind, kind of processing it. Jesus replied, there's 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. Now, he, by the time we get to this story, Jesus has already revealed he's the light of the world, right? But he's also talking about daylight. There's 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of dark. What's that got to do with this is a good idea to go back to Judea because they were going to stone you when you left? Anybody want to guess? What, is, what does this have to do? His disciple says, they tried to stone you when you were there. Maybe we shouldn't go back there. There's 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see in the daylight because of the light of the world. Now, verse 10. But at night, there's danger. Because at nighttime, in the dark, without the light of the world, you can fall down. You can stumble because you have no light. Now, do you see why that doesn't look like it really fits their concern about going back to Bethany for Lazarus? But it absolutely fits. And we'll get into it in a minute. And then he said, now he can get to the topic. And then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But now I'll go and wake him up. The disciple said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll, he'll soon get better. And they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. Did they really think Jesus was going to travel all the way back there to where they're throwing rocks at him just to wake the guy up? But Jesus meant Lazarus had died, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, this is important because his followers are going to know something about the delay that Mary and Martha don't know. Okay, they don't know. When he arrives, they're not going to know this information. So he looks at his disciples and says plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad. What? I'm glad I wasn't there. For now... Here it comes. You'll really believe. So I want you to do that same thing again. Mary and Martha knew this much about Jesus. Well, I'm going to tell you, Peter, Andrew, James, and John did too. They did too. They only knew what they knew. And now what's going to happen? Because he's late and because Lazarus is not sick anymore, Lazarus has crossed the red line. Lazarus is dead. This, this view of Jesus is going to be greatly expanded. Powerfully expanded. I'm glad I wasn't there for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Believe what? Now you'll really believe. Jesus is going to use this opportunity to reveal a new I am reality. 
What is the new one? We've gone through, he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the gate. He's the good shepherd. And he's going to reveal a new reality in this scene. I am the resurrection and the life. The disciples, the followers of Jesus knew the I am, but they didn't know that the I am had this specific power over death in the moment, in the instant. They didn't know that he could obliterate the red line. Two purposes for Jesus being late, or at least he seemed late, but he's actually right on time. Why is he late? So let's look at that first. Go back and read verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. The glory of God, always preeminent, is the glory of God and the revelation of the Son. Go down to verse 14. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. So what's the secondary point? It's for your sake. It's for you. Why why are we going to let him die? Why am I not going to heal his sickness? It's for your sake. Why? Because you need to know who I am. You're going to, in the future, you're going to need to know that I don't have a red line. Not just for me, but for others as well. The I am revealing his identity, power, and purpose for the glory of God and for the revelation of the Son and for the sake of those who find the truth. By the time Jesus arrives at the funeral, Lazarus has been dead four days. The disciples have been given the heads up on this event, so they've got inside information, the reason they're late, glory to God, revelation of Jesus for your sake. But Mary and Martha, they don't know any of this. Both Mary and Martha are going to be asked to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Isn't it reasonable to believe that if Jesus is the one, and let's just kind of build a foundation. If he is the one that created everything in the beginning, if he is before Abraham was born, I am. If he is the one who revealed his name to Moses as I am who I am. If he is born of a virgin, if he is Emmanuel, if he is God with us, God in the flesh, God's only begotten son, if he is all of this, would you really struggle with the fact that he's also the resurrection and the life? You see where I'm going? Here's where I'm going. Maybe some of you for the first time in your life, finally are getting the fact that you can't accept part of Jesus. You can't do it. If he is any of those things, he is all of those things. If he's any of them, he's all of them. And if he's all of them, then, whoo, that's pretty incredible. John 8, 24. This is why I said, you will die in your sins. Before I read this, let me go back. Can we accept a partial reality of the person of Christ? Can can you believe that he's 
three of the seven I am statements, just for an example. Can you accept a partial reality of who he is? Can you believe part of it, some of it, but some of it's too much? Some of it's too much. Well, this is why I put this scripture in here, John 8, 24. That's why I said, you're going to die in your sins. Why are they going to die in their sins? For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you're going to die in your sins. So what is it that sets people free from dying in their sins? They believe that he is who he says he is. How much of it? All of it. All of it. So do you believe that he is who he says he is? So they say, who are you? Unless you believe I am who I claim to be, you're going to die in your sins. Who are you? They demanded. And Jesus replied, I am, I'm the one I have always claimed to be. In fact, I can hear them, I can hear him saying that right now. Who are you, Jesus? I'm the one I have always claimed to be. It's in here. And unless you believe that I am who I say I am, you're going to die in your sins. Salvation. Salvation, heaven and hell, is separated by faith. And faith is believing that he is who he says he is. All of it. He doesn't just leave Martha with a big question, but he gives her a big revelation. I am and I am going to show you that I am. So here's where this series got, one of the places it got its title. I am and I will. I am the resurrection and the life. And I will prove it to you, Martha. Where's Lazarus? Right? He didn't just give her some philosophical idea. I am. And then he says, I will. I'll show you. So let's go to verse 33. When Jesus saw her, by this time Mary has come out and now she's crying, the sister. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and he saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Now I'm going to get into this anger and deep trouble in his heart in a few moments. And Jesus says, where have you put him? And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Everybody just let that sink in for a moment. Why is he crying? The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved Lazarus? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Couldn't he have stopped him from going over that red line? He could stop a blind man. He could make a blind man see, but can he stop Lazarus from crossing the red line? Because nobody comes back from the red line, right? Jesus was still angry. There it is again. As he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside. Put yourself in that scene. Put yourself in that scene. Use your imagination. Put yourself in that scene. What would you think, would your heart leap when he said, move the stone away, dig up the grave, open the coffin? Whoa. Whoa, 
Well, either you're who you say you are, or this is going to get ugly really fast. Roll the stone aside. But Martha, Jesus told them, but Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you, Martha, that you would see God's glory if you believe. So they rolled the stone aside. I can't imagine being standing there watching this. So they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus looked up to heaven. He said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they'll believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told him, unwrap him, let him go. I say that's the understatement of the day. (laughs) Unwrap him. Okay, okay, I'll unwrap him. Okay. This changes everything. No more red line. But he's been in there four days. It doesn't matter if it's four days or 4,000 years. It doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter. He's got power over death. He is the resurrection, which means if you die, you get up. You get up. This changes everything. Death. Even if you've already done it, Lazarus already done it. It can be overcome. It can be defeated. Death. Even if you fear it. Even if right now in this room you can say, I fear it. It can be overcome. It can be defeated. Death. There is one who has the power to look at it, look at death and say, no. Now I'm going to tell you, I can't do it. I can't look at death and say, no. But there's one who does. And he has the power to defeat the great power of death. Two questions about this scene in which the I am is going to reveal his purpose and his identity. Here's the two questions. Let's kind of dive deep. Why did Jesus weep when he knew what he was about to do was celebrate Lazarus coming out? Why would that make you cry? Wouldn't you not cry? Number two. What was Jesus' emotion about this thing called death? They're both in here. Let's find the answer to those two questions. So let's start with those, the shortest verse maybe in the Bible. I used to memorize it back when I was in Sunday school and they counted chapters. How many chapters do you read today? I always read that one. Jesus wept. Okay. Got one chapter, one verse. Okay. So let's start there. I can find only three places in the Bible recorded that Jesus wept. Do you know what they are? Two are at the funeral of Lazarus. Two out of three recorded events of Jesus crying, weeping, are at Lazarus' funeral. The third, let's look at the third one because I want to figure this out. The third is looking over Jerusalem as he walks toward the cross. So before Palm Sunday takes place, before he enters Jerusalem on a Sunday, which will be this Sunday, Palm Sunday, on our calendar, to go to the cross on Friday, I've got a picture on my wall in my office of Jesus looking down over Jerusalem, one of my favorite scenes. 
This is what happens. He's going to cry. But as they came closer to Jerusalem and Jesus saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Why is he crying? Is it because he knows he's going to die on the cross on Friday? No. No. Here's why. How I wish. And I told you earlier, remember that 12 hours of daylight and the 12 hours of dark? I'm going to tell you what I believe is the connection. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. You know what the 12 hours of light is? When you can make peace with God. Because the light of the world is shining upon you. And the door is open. It's light. But he also followed that up by there is also 12, hour, 12 hours of light is when we're going to go to Judea. And yes, it's dangerous, but we've got the glory of God doing the work to reveal Messiah. So we do that in the light, right? Because in the light, I'm the light of the world. But there's also 12 hours of darkness. And when the door closes and it's too late, it's now dark. It's too late. I want to read 42 again. I told you I worked all, all afternoon, couldn't get this out of my head. How I wish. He's crying. Jesus is crying. How I wish today that you, you of all people would understand the way to peace. Can anybody agree that peace would be knowing that there's not a red line? That the grave's been conquered and I don't, it, it's not my future. It's not my children or my grandchildren's future. It's been conquered. It's been defeated. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. And he's, he's weeping. He's weeping. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in on every side. And they will crush you into the ground and your children are going to be crushed into the ground with you. And your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. Because why? Because why? Because when it was light, you rejected it and chose darkness. In the time in which the light was shining, you weren't interested. Because you did not accept your opportunity. There's 12 hours in the day of light and there's 12 hours of darkness. You did not accept your opportunity for salvation while it was day. If you go back and read the Jewish scholar Josephus, he said that in 70 AD, which is what Jesus is referring to here, 1.1 million Jewish people were killed by the Roman army in the invasion. So when he said here, before long your enemies are going to build ramparts against your walls, it was about a six-month-long siege. 1.1 million of them died. Jesus is telling them, and he's crying. 
97,000 of them were enslaved, carried off as slaves to Rome. He's weeping over Jerusalem because they're going to miss it. The King of kings, Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, the good shepherd. He's walking into Jerusalem, and they're going to miss it. It's broad daylight, the light of the world shining brightly, and they're going to miss it. They're going to miss it. And he's crying. He's weeping because they refuse to believe that he is who he says he is. Yeah, I am. Now listen, it would be a terrible mistake to look at that and think that only applies to an event 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. This event is happening right now. The light of the world is shining right now. And many are going to miss it. He's not weeping over Jerusalem because he's about to die on the cross on Friday. Now, this is big. Listen carefully. I'm convinced, reading this text, he is not crying because he's going to die on Friday. That's not why he's crying. He's crying because you all are going to die, and you all had a chance to have peace with God, and you blew it. You missed it. You chose darkness when the daylight was all around you. So if he's not crying because he's going to die, why is he not crying for that? Because he knows about the resurrection and the life. Somebody listen. He knows what you ought to know. What I ought to know. What? He knows that he is the resurrection and the life. Now, I want to make a point. I put this in here because I was afraid I might miss this. I am not in any way making light of the suffering that he's about to endure before he goes to the grave. Listen, I'm not going to make light of that. It was horrendous. None of us could have imagined what he suffered. But I want to read to you Hebrews 12.1. And I'm searching the answer is, why would he weep for the people in Jerusalem and not weep for himself? Why would he not weep for himself? Okay, here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us, all of us, let us run with endurance the race he has set before us. And I'm going to insert something while it is daylight. During the 12 hours that God has ordained us to carry out the mission. Yes, it might be dangerous. Going back to Judea, it might be dangerous for the church to become the church again. But you better do it while the daylight shines. In verse 2, we do this, what? Run with endurance. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Well, what did he do? The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Why and how? Here it comes. Because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross. Disregarding the shame of his nakedness on the cross. Why? For the joy awaiting him. He knows what's on the other side of the cross. 
He knows about the resurrection. He knows about the resurrection. For the joy, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Because of the joy that awaits on the other side of the cross and suffering, he's not weeping for himself. He's weeping for the people who don't know what he knows, the resurrection and the life. He's weeping over Jerusalem because they don't believe him. They don't believe him. They don't believe that he is simply who he says he is. Salvation rests on faith that he is indeed who he says he is. And they're going to miss it. And the darkness is coming. So let's go to Luke 23, 28. Jesus has already been pronounced uh, the cross, the death penalty. And he's carrying the cross toward, toward Calvary. Okay, so he's carrying the cross, and, and, and this is what happens. Verse 28, Jesus turned to, and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Why? I mean, the, the suffering, the burden that he's carrying, why, why, why not weep for him? Why would he say, don't cry for me right now? What's he say? Weep for yourselves. Weep for you. Weep for your children. Why? For the days are coming when you will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things, what things? They are crucifying the Savior of the world. If these things are done when the tree is green. So let me convert the text. If these things are done in the 12 hours of daylight, what will happen when the tree is dry? What will happen when the light goes out in the 12 hours of darkness? Why is the I am, let's go back to Lazarus. Why is the I am weeping at Lazarus' funeral knowing that Lazarus is about to walk out of the grave in a giant celebration. Because even after seeing it with their own eyes, many won't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. One more thing about this scene that I've never noticed until I read it from the New Living Translation. It's about the second question that I asked earlier. What was Jesus' emotion about this word called death? How did Jesus look at this word called death. Because I'm going to tell you, I think this is powerful. So let's put it all together. I'm going to put the whole scene together. Go back to verse 25. Jesus told Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me, believes in me, will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him, to Jesus. Jesus had stayed outside the village at a place where Martha met him. 
When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed Mary there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? That's the same thing Martha said. And when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and he saw the other people wailing with her. Y'all ever seen a Middle Eastern funeral? Whew. I mean, there's a weeping and a wailing mess. When he saw Mary weeping and all the people gathered weeping, wailing with her, a deep, here comes the question, a deep anger welled up within Jesus, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? See, I now think the scene has changed. He's angry. He's angry. A deep anger wells up. He's troubled. This is not a casual event. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus is now weeping. He's angry. He's weeping. What's his emotion regarding this word called death? The people who are standing Nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Could, couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrives at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell would be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you? He's angry. He's not angry at Mary. He's not angry at Martha. Who's he angry with? Death. Didn't I tell you that if you, that you would see God's glory if you believe? The New International Version uses the phrase deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Why is he deeply moved in spirit? Why does he have a deep anger in this scene? He knows Lazarus is going to come out, so why is he so emotional? So I looked up the words in the original Greek language and found to snort with anger. To snort with anger. Why is Jesus snorting mad? I want you to look again at verse 33, and then we're going to go to 38. When Jesus saw her weeping, saw the other people wailing, with her, a deep anger welled within him, and he was deeply troubled. We go down to verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Why is the I am so angry? He is the resurrection. He embodies the resurrection and the life. There is no death in the I am. He understands death is the enemy of I am. It is an enemy. He is an enemy. He's angry. Not in Mary, not at Martha, not at this event, at the enemy itself. Death is the enemy. He is life for those who have already died. If they would believe, victory over death's great power belongs to him. He is life for those who will die in the future. If they believe, victory over death's great power is now within their reach. He is the creator. He is before Abraham was born, announcing his name to Moses and yet born of a virgin in a manger. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who was and is and is to come. And what in the world does death have to do with him? Nothing. Nothing. That's why he's angry. It's the enemy. It's his enemy. Death is the curse. Listen, church. Death is the curse, the result of sin, and he has neither. He does not have the curse. He does not have sin. He is the I am, and he is over death, and death cannot hold him or anyone who belongs to him. He is angry at death with a righteous anger. Death is an enemy, his enemy. The enemy of Jesus is death. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that greatly comforting. He hates it. It is his righteous anger regarding death that brought us life through the cross. Death is an enemy of Jesus. Through his own death, he has defeated death and death's source. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 2, 14. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood. That's who we are. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could the I am die. Are you with me? Only by him becoming like us could he possibly die because he's not subject to death. Death can't take him because he's too big. He's too powerful. He's life. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break what power? The power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves from the fear of dying. He is the resurrection for those who have died. He is the life for all who believe that he is who he says he is. He is the I am. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John receives this announcement from the I am regarding this word, death. John sees his resurrected three-year friend and companion Jesus. Can you imagine John in that cave? He's 90-something years old. We believe he's in his 90s when Jesus comes to visit John in what we call the Revelation. And Jesus does this, verse 17. John says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid, John. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I died, John, but look. Look what? I died, but look. Look what? I'm alive. How long? Forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Somebody say hallelujah. I'm alive. I died. I died. But look, John, I'm alive. It's interesting to me that Jesus chose a funeral service to announce the end of funeral services. Pretty good planning, isn't it? Death, the final and ultimate enemy of man. I got a testimony tonight that you cannot refute. You can, but it won't work. 
The resurrection cures death 100% of the time. The resurrection cures death 100% of the time. Even if you die. Remember the, what he told Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if he dies. So if you're in the ground, you've already done it. He's still the resurrection. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So, do you? Kind of changes everything, doesn't it? This one. This, you know, there's a whole lot about the light of the world and the good shepherd. And the, but this kind of just changes everything. It, the resurrection always trumps death. Even if you get death, you get dead... You don't stay dead. You get resurrected. And then he says what? Those four words? Do you believe this? It is the final enemy of man. Death, the enemy of God, but the reality of all who will refuse to believe in the I am. So let me put the part that I don't want to put in here, but I have to put in here. I'm going to tell you the truth. The resurrection is 100% cure of death by faith that Jesus is who he says he is. And you're not going to fake him out, and neither am I. And if you do not put your faith in him, fully put your faith in him, you will not get the resurrection. You will get the second death. And if you think the first death is horrible, the second death is worse. Not just one death, but the second death, an eternal death for the unbelievers of the I am. And I keep going back to that thought I had this afternoon. Jesus, in the midst of, it's not safe to go back to Judea. If we go back to Judea, they were going to stone you. And Jesus knows that I'm here to complete the mission of the Father. That's why I'm here. I'm not worried about them throwing rocks at me. I'm here to complete the mission of the Father. And then he, then he does what? He says there's 12 hours of daylight. And we must complete the work we have while it's day because nighttime is coming. And when the nighttime comes, you won't be able to complete the work because you will stumble in the dark. That's his words in the middle of that scene. Those who stumble in the dark will not find the resurrection. They will find the second death. Revelation 2.11, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Why? What was it that got you out of being harmed by the second death? Whoever has ears to hear should listen and understand what the Spirit is saying to the church. What's he saying tonight? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Right now, and until the I am comes, death is real and death is here. But I proclaim today the words of the book of the I am. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let me read Revelation 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. 
and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death. Somebody say hallelujah. What? No more death. Not like nothing. Nothing dying. Animals, birds, possums, don't matter. You know, a possum can't get across the road without death. No more death. No more death. No more sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Now, the reason I did that like that, we need to believe this. Do you understand? This is not a philosophical event. This is not an intellectual experience. This is who we are. That in front of us, I, I, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, it says, for the joy that was in front of him, Jesus endured the cross suffering. Because he knew what was on the other side. Listen, do you know what's on the other side? This. It's on the other side. And it might be really hard between now and then, and what Jesus is really hard between looking over Jerusalem and crying, and on the other side, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. And it might be really hard for us between now and the fact the day when there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears for all those things that have gone forever. But what's at stake here? Death is the last enemy. Death has been defeated by the life and death of the I am. And Jesus took our death into the grave and he left it there. He took my death. When he went into the grave, he took Terry Cooper's death into the grave and he left it there. He is now our resurrection and our life. Jesus is the resurrection from the dead for himself and for us. And listen, this is one, of, my opinion, this is one of the most powerful, explanative scriptures in the Bible regarding this topic of the end of death. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, his name is Jesus. And just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ, I hope that's everybody in this room, everybody hearing me tonight, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Somebody say hallelujah. When he comes back, everybody that's in the ground, all these bodies that have been in the ground, they're going to rise. And after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler, destroyed every authority, destroyed every power. He's angry. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy. Oh, my, 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 my. And the last enemy to be destroyed is what? Say that loud. Death. Is Jesus who he says he is? You see, this resurrection thing would change everything, wouldn't it? So I want to close with this. That Luke 9, 42, Jesus is looking over Jerusalem. And he says, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it's too late. 
and peace is hidden from your eyes. What's that do to you? What is that? I'm asking you, because I can tell you what it does to me. It stirs my soul to think that I know people. If something doesn't drastically change, there's going to be a point where it will be too late. I'm going to read it again. How I wish. He's crying. The Savior of the world is weeping in this scene. How I wish today you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. And then, if that's not enough to stir you, Jesus has got the cross and he's carrying it to Golgotha. And the women are all around him wailing and screaming. And Jesus says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Why would he say that? Because on the other side of the cross is glory. And Jesus is going to sit at the right hand of the Father. But for you who chose darkness while the light of the world was among you, you only have the second death coming. Weep for you and your children. The gospel message is an urgent message. It is urgent. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the resurrection and the life. For without the resurrection, the second death belongs to us. Eternal separation, eternal darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, horror beyond our imagination. But you wept over us. You wept over us as you walk to the cross to set us free. So, Father, may this be an urgent issue in our hearts, and may this message of hope go out from this place, and many, many will find the resurrection in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.